Chapter 59 Squid Slowly wading through the meadows of Brit, the Pequod still held on her way northeastward toward the island of Java, a gentle air impelling her keel so that in the surrounding serenity her three tall, tapering masts mildly waved to that languid breeze as three palms on a plain. And still, at wide intervals, in the silvery night, the lonely, alluring jet would have been seen. But one transparent blue morning, when a stillness almost preternatural spread over the sea, however unattended with a stagnant calm, when the long burnished sunglade on the waters seemed a golden finger laid across them, enjoining some secrecy, when the slippered waves disappeared together and softly ran on, in the profound hush of the visible sphere a strange specter was seen by Degoo from the main masthead. In the distance, a great white mass lazily rose and rising higher and higher and disentangling itself from the azure at last gleamed before our prow like a snowslide, new slid from the hills, thus glistening for a moment as slowly it subsided and sank, then once more arose and silently gleamed. It seemed not a whale, and yet was this Moby Dick, thought Degoo. Again the phantom went down, but on reappearing once more with a stiletto-like cry that startled every man from his nod, the negro yelled out, There! There again! There she breaches! Right ahead! The white whale! The white whale! Upon this, the seamen rushed to the yard-arms, and in swarming time the bees rushed to the bows. Bareheaded in the sultry sun, Ahab stood on the bowsprit, and with one hand pushed far beyond in readiness to wave his orders to the helmsman, cast his eager glance in the direction indicated aloft by the outstretched, motionless arm of Degu. Whether the flitting attendance of the one still and solitary jet had gradually worked upon Ahab, so that he was now prepared to connect the ideas of mildness and repose from the first sight of the particular whale he pursued, However, this was, or whether his eagerness betrayed him, whichever way it might have been, no sooner did he distinctly perceive the white mass than a quick intensity he instantly gave orders for lowering. The four boats were soon on the water, Ahab's in advance, and all swiftly pulling toward their prey. Soon it went down, and while the oar suspended, they were awaiting its reappearance. Lo, in the same spot where it sank, once more it slowly rose, almost forgetting for the moment all thoughts of Moby Dick, we now gazed at the most wondrous phenomenon, which the secret seas have hitherto revealed to mankind. A vast, pulpy mast, furlongs in length and breadth, of glancing cream color, lay floating on the water, innumerable long arms radiating from its center, and curling and twisting like a nest of anacondas, as if blindly to clutch at any hapless object within its reach. No perceptible face or front did it have, no conceivable token or either sensation or instinct, but undulating there on billows, an unearthly, formless, chance-like apparition of life. As with a slow sucking sound, it slowly disappeared again, Starbuck still gazing at the agitated waters where it had sunk, with a wild voice exclaimed, Almost rather I had seen Moby Dick and fought him, than to have seen thee, thou white ghost. What was it, sir? asked Flask. The great live squid, which they say few whale ships have beheld, and returned to their ports to tell of it. But Ahab said nothing. Turning his boat, he sailed back to the vessel, the rest as silently following. 
Whatever superstitions the sperm whalemen in general have connected to the sight of this object, certain it is, that a glimpse of it being so very unusual, that circumstance has gone far to invest it with portentousness. So rarely it is beheld that though one and all of them declare it to be the largest animated thing in the ocean, yet very few of them have any but the most vague ideas concerning its true nature and form. Notwithstanding, they believe it to furnish the sperm whale his only food. They believe to furnish to the sperm whale his only food, and though other species of whales find their food above water, and may be seen by man in the act of feeding, the spermaceti whale obtains his whole food in unknown zones, below the surface, and only by interference is it that any one can tell of what precisely the food consists. At times, when closely pursued, he will disgorge what are supposed to be detached arms of the squid, some of them thus exhibiting exceeding twenty or thirty feet in length. They fancy that the monster to which these arms belonged ordinarily clings to them to the bed of the ocean, and that the sperm whale, unlike other species, is supplied with teeth in order to attack and tear it. There seem to be some ground to imagine that the great kraken of Bishop Ponto Pompadon may ultimately resolve itself into squid. The manner in which the bishop describes it as alternately rising and sinking, with some other particulars he narrates, in all but this the two correspond. But much abatement is necessary with respect to the incredible bulk he assigns it. By some naturalists who have vaguely heard rumors of the mysterious creature here spoken of, it is included among the class of cuttlefish, to which, indeed, in certain external respects, it would seem to belong, but only as an anak of the tribe. Thanks for listening to Moby Dick Pod. If you've liked what you've heard so far, consider subscribing or leaving us a rating on Apple Podcast. And as always, thanks for listening.